0: Hi, and welcome to The Unveiled Podcast, where we discuss all things related to women to help us think Christianly in every area of our lives. My name's Sandy, and I'm here with Susie. We've been friends and have served together at our local church for over 20 years. Susie's area of training is in women's ministry, biblical counseling, and theology, and my background is in education and music. We're so glad to have you join us in our discussion of the proverbs 31 woman she is generous and before we get started i did want to let you know that i am putting some of these challenges into practice on our last episode i was challenged to make a new meal um, susie had mentioned something about getting outside of the same three meals and so I felt that conviction and uh, I reached out to my Facebook friends for a tried and true recipe to try. So I ended up choosing one called creamy bacon chicken that was from Amy. So thank you Amy and um, my husband and kids enjoyed it. So I just want to encourage everyone listening to get outside of your comfort zone in some way and maybe something that we say today will spur you on. So. Back to our verse, Proverbs 31, verse 20. She is generous. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. This Proverbs woman is giving to those in need and she's showing kindness, selflessness, and generosity. And we wanna focus on this aspect of her character today. Susie, I know Pastor Aaron speaks on this concept of stewardship very often. And those of us who attend Harvest Windsor are familiar with this. Could you briefly talk about the difference between stewardship and ownership, as I think this will help with the rest of our discussion? It's a great place to
1: start. And I know for myself, understanding what a steward is really frees me up to do the things that I I need to do and to prioritize those things well. Uh, A steward is a caretaker. Uh, A steward manages that which has been entrusted to them. They are responsible for it. Whether they have been entrusted with much or little, they take care of that and they they take great um, care to be responsible and to be a steward and to do what is good and best with what has been entrusted. They recognize that they don't own it. They are simply there to care for it. And as Pastor Aaron, my husband, often says, ownership is the opposite of stewardship. You see, when we feel like we own something we hold it with closed fists we hang on to it we don't want to share it we want to control it and we want to do whatever we want to do with it and it causes really it causes anxiety and fear because the thought of losing it causes us to to be afraid and so we work even harder at holding on to it but when we can hold things with open hands maybe cupped hands that's what Aaron often says with cupped hands you see, we're not being irresponsible with it by just letting it fall out of our hands and break or get damaged or ruined or lost. No, we hold it with cupped hands, meaning we're we're being very careful with it to make sure that it is being taken care of in a in a good way. But if we need to let it go, it can go. And Stuarts realize that God ultimately is the owner of all things and that God has given these things to us, whether it's money or resources or talents or gifts or people, whether it be a husband, a friend or children. They're all things that God has called us to steward. And if we recognize that they actually belong to him, it should actually raise our motivation and desire to be very careful with it. We don't want to ruin what belongs to another person and we want to do what is best and a steward also recognizes that we're doing it to be God's image bearer and how we care for it actually reflects God and should reflect God and if we aren't doing a good job at taking care of it it actually detracts from God's image so it's a huge responsibility that shouldn't intimidate us but should cause us to take great care uh, one of the things I've been thinking about lately is how our Christian churches have really adopted such a consumerist mindset. We as churches have largely been influenced by society rather than us being the ones to influence society. And we see this because churches and Christian homes and families and people are largely characterized by both individualism and consumerism. Uh, even our Our churches are all about me. We often ask, what can I get out of church? What can I get out of my marriage or out of my job or out of my ministry? I've seen a trend where we... uh, expect a separate ministry for every need. Uh, And if I were to base the women's ministry at our church off of all the requests of our people or the needs of our people, we would divide just our women's ministry into groups for divorced women, for single women, for abused women, for single moms, for seniors, for first-time moms, for moms with toddlers, for moms with multiple children, for moms who have had a struggle with their children having gender dysphoria. Not only would that be way too much for me to even think about, this would actually create a divide rather than community the very thing that these various groups are looking for that is the care and the love and being under understood and and ministered to all of that would actually be hindered because it would create that individualism mean, it's all about me and that consumerism i need what i want and if I, I want it i need to get it right now and people need to cater to me ministry is not all about my needs but these kind of divisions actually cause people to think more about themselves and ask the questions like who is taking care of me or who is thinking about me I don't fit in nobody understands me there we can easily get into the mentality that nobody has it as bad as you or because you've been abused that nobody else can possibly understand that and these are all lies from the devil that he uses to separate us. And as churches, we we have to resist this. We, We need to influence culture rather than allow culture to influence us. And as much as at first, it can sound very loving to have all sorts of different groups for the different needs, because these are real people that we're talking about that have real hurts. If we create too many divides. It actually creates consumerism rather than people who worship. And it creates individualism rather than family and community. It's actually destructive. And so although we as a women's ministry, we do have hope groups at times that meet specific needs. They are temporary and they're for the purpose of ultimately bringing people together. And earlier this year, We had a six-week hope group for first-time moms. I think it was very beneficial. But at the end of the group, we didn't then start a group for moms with toddlers or moms with multiple children. No, we encouraged the moms in this group with first-time moms to then integrate into our weekly Bible study that's full of women of all ages and seasons and life stories. And I, I think that's best. Uh, If we need to take time to minister to a specific group, let's do that. Let's care for them, but then come together to really live out as family and community, the one another's of scripture. So we can learn from those who are different from us, those who are like us, those who've gone through things like us, or maybe just have life wisdom that they can offer us. Or maybe they really don't have much to say, but they can offer us love and time. And that is so valuable as well. If we can resist consumerism and individualism and rather embrace community in the body of christ then we are ready to be stewards and to start living with generosity and in fact i think it'll start coming more naturally to us
0: that's great and i love the visual of the open hand um, as a steward rather than the ownership the closed fist and um in our verse it does say um, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Why do you think there is a difference in this verse between um, she opens her hand, single hand, to the poor, and she reaches out her hands, both of them, to the needy? Well, I I
1: can't say I have a definite answer for that. I couldn't find anything in, in my <laughs> commentary, but what I did find And I'm not a Hebrew scholar myself, and so I I can't, you know, um, know for sure. But from what I understand, the first time that it uses the word hand in the singular, it's actually talking about the hollow or the flat of the hand. So it's the palm of your hand, And when I think about that, it kind of visualizes, you know, those open hands that say, what is mine is yours. Mm -hmm. And that's just a beautiful Mm -hmm. mentality to have when we think about the poor. And then in the second part of the verse where it actually uses the plural of hands, the actual Hebrew word would actually be forearm or hand. And to me, that gave me the visual thought of, Helping somebody up, helping the needy. So maybe the needy have fallen down. So I'm going to use my hand to pick them up mm-hmm. and, and to help them out. And so I don't know for sure if that's what was intended. But I think when we think about generosity, we we should think about uh, physical generosity, where we we give of our finances and resources to help those who are in need, who are poor, but also to use our physical strength to just give a hand and to help someone mm-hmm. who is down low or whatever need they might have. Maybe mm-hmm. they uh, it's a single mom that needs help cutting her grass or uh, a new mom that just needs you to go and be present or cook a meal for her, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, but yep. that's kind of what I was thinking.
0: Thank you. No, I was just curious about that. Um, okay, so our God is a God of abundance. His storehouses are are huge, and you know it's so interesting. We are sort of wrapping up our study, our women's Bible study um, based on specific prayers in the Bible, and I'm noticing that in many of them, God not he not only answers the person's prayer but he adds heaps of blessing on top of it. Our God is so generous, and we also see this in the Gospel that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross, he gives what we haven't earned. Can we talk about having a biblical mindset about giving? What is tithing and what is offering? I love how you bring it back to God because
1: generosity should flow out of the character of God. Really, if we take God out of the picture, we're just being kind, good human beings. But as Christians, our generosity should flow from the fact that we've already experienced the generosity of God. So I think it's just beautifully stated uh, the way you said that. And just remembering that God is a God of abundance. In our salvation, he gave himself for us. He died so that we could live. He was punished so that we didn't need to be punished for our sins. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He gave us what we didn't deserve or what we didn't earn. And if we can build our spirit of generosity off of our knowledge of salvation, I think we will do well. In all honesty, like if you think about it, the next time that you are tempted to be greedy or stingy, just think about what Jesus did for us. Like, can we really live stingy lives if we understand mm-hmm. the gospel? Mm-hmm. God gave Himself; He gave His life. Like that—that's huge. And I think so often we forget that. When we just begin thinking about ourselves. Once again, back to that individualism. It's all about me. And what do I need? What I want? And really, we should be thinking back to our relationship with Him and realize that. Our relationship with him, if we have been born again, if we have experienced his grace, his generosity and salvation, that defines our identity. And our identity is supposed to be characteristic of who God is. And it reminds us that we are part of the body of Christ. We we belong to him with one another. It's not just me that belongs to Christ. But everybody who is born again, like we are all part of that. And if I'm going to take care of my physical body, so if I have a a sore leg, I'm going to take care of that sore leg. Or if I have a sore throat, I'm going to take care of that Mm -hmm. sore throat. And if we were to think about each other that way, if we see another brother or sister in need, of course, we would take care of it if we really understand that we are Mm -hmm. the body of Christ. And that means... If we have experienced God's love, then we are to love like he loves us. And I think we forget that way too often. And that's why we are so, so stingy rather than generous. So yeah, it's all about him and it goes back to him. Let's think back on him. It's to embody Christ. And when we do that, we will learn to be more generous.
0: Hmm. Thanks. Um, so, in light of the uncertainty of our current economy, um, prices seem to rise on everything. Um, there, there seems to be a sense of urgency to, you know, um, purchase gold, get silver, get out of debt as quickly as possible. So, how how can we balance this call to generosity? With the call to also being prudent and saving, we don't want to be stingy with God's blessings, like you Mm. said, but we also don't want to be foolish with what we do have. Right, exactly. And that's where I
1: think we need to be principle minded rather than circumstance minded. So we live in accordance with our principles, which should be rooted in God's word. We should embrace biblical principles. And some of those are, once again, the stewardship mindset, remembering that we are stewards, not owners. And that means if we have resources, and we know that there is possible danger ahead, there's absolutely nothing wrong with saving up or preparing for that. It would be foolish not to, right? And all throughout the pr- uh, Proverbs 31, we woman, we see her being prepared, mm-hmm. being prepared ahead of time so that when the, the storms come, mm-hmm. such as the winters, mm-hmm. she's prepared for that already. And so there's nothing wrong with being prepared. That's part of being a steward. Um, and then also remembering from Luke 16, 10, that the one who is faithful with little will be faithful with much and that means the one who is disobedient with little will also be disobedient with much it's uh the parable of the uh, the crude manager and what we see in these verses specifically verses 10 to 13 it says one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest with much If then you have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And that's where I think we need to check our hearts. And first of all, who are we worshiping? Are we really worshiping God and loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength more than anything else? Or are we worshiping money? Are we in bondage to our money? Do, do we desire money more than we desire God? And that could be a, a heart issue, uh, an idol in our life, because really whatever it is that we worship, that's what we idolize. Mm-hmm. And, and, so that, uh, that's a huge, huge thing. We, um, we will be faithful with little if we worship God. But if we worship money, we won't even be faithful if we have a little bit or if we have a lot. And then that means we have to trust God no matter what. We trust him to provide. And we start off being stewards. We care for the money, the resources, the things that God has given us. And then we trust him to provide And that means he might not give us everything that we want, but we trust. And so I think if God is urging you to give, then give and trust God to give you what you need as well. Uh, And so, yes, so just to kind of rehearse here, biblical principles are the idea of stewardships. We are not owners. We are stewards. Remembering that the one who is faithful will, will, oh, That's a tongue twister here. The one who is faithful with little will be faithful with much to trust God no matter what. And then next, if you sense God urging you to give, give and trust God to provide. And then next, I just wanted to mention that God loves a cheerful giver. Mm -hmm. And we say this, but let's continue to repeat this because I think we need to continue to remember this. If we aren't cheerful givers, that doesn't give us an excuse not to give. But rather, we should ask God to help us to be a cheerful giver. And I'm pretty sure he's going to help us be that. And then lastly, I just wanted to mention that we should give without expecting anything in return. You see, it's it can be easy to give to someone that you know will be generous back. But what about the person that is never going to give back? Mm-hmm. Either because they don't have it or maybe they just haven't developed that spirit of generosity yet. Are we more giving to the person that will be giving back to us or the person, or are we indiscriminate? Are we just generous with whoever God calls us to give money to? And so I think we need to remember that. Let's not just give to those who will give back. Let's not expect anything in return. If we are generous, we will just give according to uh, the way that God leads us and shows us how to Give. Hmm.
0: Well, how can we employ wisdom in recognizing who is actually needy? Um, how can we prioritize which needs to give to when there really, there seems to be so many in need? Um, when when my husband lost his job, we were amazed by how the church met our needs in different ways. Um, we actually have so many stories of of, of God just showing up when we when we needed, and and we didn't ask. Um, and maybe that was some pride on our part, um, but not everyone wants to ask for help. So how can we be aware and know when to step in and be the hands of feet um, for Jesus for others? I think these
1: are very important things to think about because many Christians will ask these questions, and many generous people have probably been duped mm-hmm. and have given generously, and then mm. it's gone to waste. And it hasn't been appreciated or it's been just not resourced well. In these can be situations like when we uh, first moved to Windsor, my husband and I served at a, a church that was a little more downtown, and we would regularly have people come to the church asking mm-hmm. for food or money. And the church wouldn't give money, but if they need were in need, we would give them food. We had mm-hmm. a food cupboard and my husband would say that there was times that you would give somebody a bag of groceries and they would literally go dump it in mm-hmm. the in the weeds or the mm-hmm. the bushes behind the church because they didn't really want the food they didn't need the food they wanted money mm-hmm. probably for yeah. drugs right and so it's not generous to give people things like that, if they're going to throw it away, mm-hmm. we're actually enabling sinful behavior. And so it's very important to, to learn to be discerning. Um, but as Christians, we do want to be generous. And once again, I mean, go back to the concept of living in community rather than living as individuals. When we live in community, we will know who is in need. When someone loses a job, it's pretty evident that there will be some financial needs. So what we need to do is open our eyes and see what's going on around us. Like, once again, take our eyes off of ourselves, off of being an individual and say, what are the needs that I'm seeing in the people around me? How can I help them? Am I able to help them? If I'm able to help them, then I want to help them. Uh, So open up our eyes, live in community and and be the hands and feet now living in community does enable us to know right so if we're living and in in community and talking we find out if our friend's husband has lost a job or if he's sick and can't work that's part of living in community we we learn those kind of things um and so we need to recognize that um we shouldn't live so privately that others don't know our needs. If we're with our friends, we don't just want to talk "woe is me" and these are all the bad things that are happening. But if there's a true need, we shouldn't hide it but reveal it. And community, true Christian community, invites that. Um, once again, it will also reveal the idols of our heart, and we've already talked about that a little bit. But we we know that we become what we worship. And it will be evident when we're living in community and if we just walk by people who are in need and then go on this big, huge vacation for ourselves or buy this big new luxury item for ourselves. Meanwhile, there's people around us that are in need. It's pretty evident that we have a worship issue. Um, when we're living in community like that. So it might be hard. It might be easier to go and live our own private lives so that people don't see those kind of things. But in the end, that doesn't do us any good. We're not going to be happier for it. We're not going to be in peace with God if we live that way. Uh, And so I just encourage people, all of us, to learn more about what it means to live in community so that we don't become those individual type people that we are protected from becoming uh, women who idolize ourselves, who idolize money or stuff, and, and then become controlled by them. Uh, so, yeah, very important to live mm-hmm. in community.
0: Hmm. There's a video floating around right now of, uh, of a Ukraine. I believe it's a Ukrainian woman who is complaining that she needs money. And she tried working for two months, but she doesn't want a measly job. She just wants money and talks about that she can't afford jewelry So, um, I think we've seen, we've seen people who want to take advantage of others' goodwill. And I think many of us are concerned that we're, we might be enabling foolish people like her rather than actually helping someone in a season of true need. So can you, can you walk us through this thinking a little bit more?
1: Yeah. So we already touched on that. Um, Because it kind of relates to to both of these Mm -hmm. ideas, seeing people in true need and then giving, but then not giving foolishly. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think we've all made mistakes and sometimes we haven't been generous enough and sometimes we've been naively generous. So it's good to ask these questions. First of all, once again, I think we look to God's word. And God's word in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 to 12 says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Like That's just as clear as day hmm. in God's word. And I actually um, came across another translation of the same pastive scripture. The first one I read was from the ESV and this one is in the NIV. And sometimes it's just interesting seeing how things are worded just a little bit differently. Verse, The last verse here, actually just it, in the NIV, this is what it says. I think it's just, it, it's almost kind of funny because it's so blunt, but it makes so much sense. It says, such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to earn the bread they eat. I thought wow this word settled down. You see, many people are busybodies or their minds are racing. They're they're hyper. They they can't actually relax and settle and mm. focus long enough to actually get a job and to work hard so they can earn enough money. They they're too busy watching soap operas or on their phones doing all these different uh phone games or maybe playing video games and gossiping with their neighbors, doing anything but actual work. And then they complain that they can't find a job, or they complain that they haven't been able to get a, a high paying job, just a measly job, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Those are not characteristics of of people who we should help, right? Like earn the bread you want to
0: eat. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. I have one of my children is <laughs> a, quite a procrastinator when it comes to schoolwork. And, um, you know, you try and be creative as a parent. And I think I, you know, I had tried so many different things, but then I remembered the verse that says, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. <laughs> so I told him that if he, uh, if he can't do his work, then maybe we need to use that verse as a you know apply that verse not that i would withhold food from my son but maybe he won't get the choice of what kind of food he gets to eat so
1: i think that's great sandy we we do need to teach these principles to our children from a young age and certainly i don't uh, approve of or believe in child labor but children certainly should learn responsibility and work within the context of the home mm-hmm. and i think a lot of these things we actually teach them or not teach them in our home. And that actually affects how children grow up. Uh, So it's not necessarily gonna be natural for kids to enjoy working, right? When we ask our kids to clean the room or help with dishes or go cut the grass, they probably will complain, mm-hmm. and they might hesitate and procrastinate. That's not just your son. That's quite common in children. Mm-hmm. And so it's our responsibility as parents to weed that out of our kids mm-hmm. and to train them up so that they will be people who enjoy and value value work. And so, of course, there's many people who've never learned that from their parents, and maybe it's because their parents wanted to be generous and just Uh, Maybe they felt like they had to work too hard when they were young, and so they overcompensate and never ask their kids to do anything. Or maybe um, their child struggles with schoolwork, and so they, they feel like, well, I can't also ask my child to help with the dishes. They're already working so hard with school or all sorts of excuses that we can make. That actually is not good for our children. So I just encourage parents, once Mm -hmm. again, to start when they're young and weed that out of them so that when they're older, they'll actually be able to make better decisions and work hard. Another example is people who grow up with parents who are just living off off the system. And as much as I think some people fall into that, for instance, a, a woman who's just abandoned by her husband, she's got five young children at home what she gonna do, she can't just leave her kids. And so she might start uh, by receiving some government funding. And in those cases, I'm happy to see that she's provided for. But if she then fails to teach her children that they need to learn to work, she's going to make a big mistake Mm -hmm. and the kids are just going to learn that oh it's easy to get money from the government why would i go to work and work hard and have to be up at a certain time and be responsible if i can just sit at home doing whatever i want and getting money uh so being intentional about that uh so one of the just getting back to your question then like how can we see if someone is really in need uh we ask are they willing to work that's huge and um asking are they asking for basic needs and necessities or do they expect you to give them money so they can buy jewelry like the mm-hmm. woman that you were describing right jewelry is not a basic need uh we need to ask are we feeding an underlying addiction so are we by giving them money are we feeding an addiction to just sitting around playing video games or watching tv are we feeding an addiction of substance abuse if we are we should not give them money um and then next i was thinking about how we need to make sure that we are not simply seeing people as biotic beings and that's one of the things we really learned during the mm-hmm. whole pandemic yeah. right because yeah. everything that was being thrown at us was just stay home stay safe and yet we realize I hate even saying that, hey, eh? like know, ugh, it makes gross. me cringe thinking yep. about it. But they just wanted us to stay home because we wouldn't physically get the virus if we were not in contact with other people, but that's not taking into consideration our relational needs, our emotional needs, our spiritual needs. There's so much that's missing if we only think about people as biotic beings. And Therefore, if somebody is in need and they are asking for money, and maybe even initially you're like, okay, well, they're lazy or they do have an addiction. We want to be careful about what we give, but maybe we need to think deeper and broader than just giving them money or food. We should ask, what do they really need? And maybe they need to learn work ethics, or maybe they need to learn skills that they can have to earn a job or get a job. Maybe they need to know how to have a proper interview. Actually take a shower and put on clean clothes and press your clothes before you go out, whatever it might be. Maybe they just simply need to learn how to have a budget. Maybe nobody ever told them and they're living outside their means. And those are just some basic things that we can teach people other than just throwing money at them or food at them. And then, of course, the gospel. Mm. We need to share the gospel. We live in such a godless nation that has totally tried to omit, uh, eliminate the concept of God. And as we see people eliminating God, we see them becoming less and less human. They are denying people's humanity. They're just living as robots, as inhumane people. We need to take people back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel really does transform. So as much as the gospel is necessary to to save us from our sins so that we can be forgiven and cleaned and made whole and have a relationship with Jesus— The gospel also impacts every area of our life. So, once we've been truly saved, we are going to want to work rather than be lazy. We are going to want to be stewards of the resources God has given us rather than wasting them. We are going to want to have people skills because God has called us to be relational. So, so many things are going to be fixed, not Mm -hmm. automatically, it's Mm -hmm. still a process, but they'll be fixed by the gospel. So, let's continue to share the gospel with people who are in desperate need. And I was just thinking here as well that um, it's so sad that our, our current government is working so hard to really diminish the work ethic of our, our culture. And we hear a lot about sustainable living. And once again, it sounds so nice and so good because they're trying to, they say eliminate poverty, but even, Like Even at this point, we're not at the point where they've fully transferred over to the sustainable living, the 2030 agenda. So that's coming up sooner than we think. But they're moving in that direction. But already we are seeing that what they're doing is not sustainable at all because we're already seeing food shortages. We're already seeing food prices skyrocketing. We're already seeing that employers are are, first of all, having a difficult time finding people to come and work for them. And then once they do have them to actually find hardworking employers or employees. So we already have very lazy people from this mindset that the government will just provide an equal living for everyone, whether you work hard or not, whether you've ever learned a skill or not, like let's just make everything equal. And then secondly, um, this sustainable living is just trying to create more government control. It's going to benefit the lazy people, but not the hardworking people. And one of the big problems, too, is that it promotes inclusion, which means that if you are not inclusive, if you have biblical views on race, on gender and life... You will probably have a hard time finding a job in the future because in order to get a job, you will be required to agree with all these things to be inclusive and not have a biblical opinion on them. And so I would say up until the last three years, I would have always thought anyone who wants to work is able to, but I do recognize that this may no longer be the case, or it might not be the case for too long, because I think many people will be limited in their work. We saw that during COVID, but that's not the end. Uh, More and more, we're going to see employers expecting that you agree with their opinion of race, gender, abortion, all those things. And if you don't guess what, you're not going to have a job. Mm -hmm. And so we as Christians, we really do need to and my husband says this all the time, right? Um, We need to start being creative by building our own systems of work of education of medical care, because we're going to be excluded as much as they talk about inclusion, we are going to be excluded Mm -hmm. if we don't follow along uh, so once again just a reminder as christians to live in community to be united to think about each other and to biblically in a, in a united mind build communities that are truly strong in the faith on biblical values so that we can continue to take care of one another for the glory of god
0: mm, solid biblical advice that we can apply to our lives as we follow this example of generosity from Proverbs, may we find that we we are the ones being blessed. Uh, we hope you will join us again in a couple of weeks as we continue looking at Proverbs 31. Thank you for joining us as we rebuild biblical womanhood from the foundation up.